Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hour in finance radio. And once again, folks, plenty to talk about. And we are here, as always, trying to break it down uh, and make it understandable. So you got a good read on what's going on. Um, (laughs) If you've got to do what I've got to do, if you got to hop on a radio show, I hear people all the time go, Zach, is it hard to get on the radio and talk for an hour? Well, generally speaking for me, no, because I am psychotic when it comes to what I do for a living. So, you know, a lot of times for funny when I'm not working, that's what me and my buddies end up talking about or, you know, Marcos, our other portfolio manager. But during the last two years, I mean, the show's right themselves. Like I was telling you guys, it's more about trying to figure out what we're not going to talk about than what we are. Um, So today I want to focus on a couple things. Obviously, we'll have the market update. We're going to go over some different things that have happened. I'm sure you guys have heard some talking about the Bank of England, which I think is fascinating. And I think it is way more fascinating and way more interesting than you're hearing about in the media. And I am not saying this to stick my chest out and say I got it right. But um, what's fascinating to me is about what they've done because it's something that I – it was a theory. I didn't know, and I, and I want to underline that because I, I, one thing that we've got to keep in mind, guys, is that not only is crazy stuff going on in the world, and, but in terms of our economy, in terms of financial markets, we are living in the most – in a giant economic experience or, or excuse me, experiment, Okay. We are doing things on a day-to-day basis that have never been done. We are watching market reactions to those things on a day-to-day basis that are the inverse of what they would be historically and truly the inverse of what makes sense. And so, you know, I would say that investing is equal parts science and art. Um, That is especially true now because you're living in completely – and every time is unique – But there are rules and guidelines around investing in monetary policy and economics that for the most part have stood the test of time, that most for the most part have been like guardrails, right? Um, That is not the case anymore, right? We we have seen that we can shut down economies and print trillions of dollars and have massive historic stock market rallies, right? I mean – Again, I've jokingly called it the Alice in Wonderland. You can believe as many as six impossible things before breakfast, right? The Alice in Wonderland market. Um, And so, but watching the, what getting to my point about the Bank of England, and we'll start there. Well, let me give you the further summary. So we'll we'll address, we're going to do a whole section on the Bank of England. I'll summarize it in the market update, but I really want to focus in on that because um, not only is it fascinating to me that the theory, theory, I didn't know. Again, it was a theory of mine that that I started thinking about about probably about four years ago. Um, it has played out this week. And I think that that, again, is getting way overlooked. Um, also want to talk about inflation updates that have come out, earnings reports that have come out this week that I think reinforce our viewpoint um, and give us an insight into what we're going to be seeing uh, in the not too distant future. Um, like I said, we're going to do a segment focusing in on the BOE because it's the bank of England. When I say BOE, I mean, bank of England. Um, I, again, I think it deserves its own segment because like I said earlier, it's a window into, I just think you're going to hear a lot more of it. Okay. It, it seems somewhat inevitable to me and I'll walk you through my reasoning and, and the, and the start of my theory and you know how I got there and how it's playing out at this moment. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I want to talk about are, and, and this is kind of a, a dovetail off of the Bank of England. And this is what really concerns me about the current environment. Yes, economically, we are up against it. Um, 
you know, it looks sort of inevitable to me that it's going to be a bumpy 12 to six months ahead of us at least. That being said, unlike 0809, the United States is not going to be the epicenter of the issues. I think the bigger issues are global. Uh, And part of that is the dollar strength and the currency gyrations and and all that other kind of stuff. Um, But I think that we really need to focus on when you go, when you look at, when you go through tough economic times, it's usually not the main story that causes problems, right? Like think of 0809 real estate going down, right? That was painful enough. It's what that did, right? That wasn't the, the fact that our houses lost 40% did not create the financial crisis. It was what our houses losing 40% precipitated bank collapses, right? That became, so the second and third order effects are what was so dangerous. And that's always the way it is, right? Especially when you have massive sea changes, especially when going using 0809 as an example again, why was that so pernicious? It was so pernicious because it never happened before. Therefore, the second and third order effects were really unknown, right? It's hard to predict what dominoes are going to fall when that first domino has never fallen before. We don't have any experience. And I, and I think we're in a similar space right now. And I really don't think the obvious economic headwinds – look, nobody wants a global economic slowdown. I just view that as completely inevitable. You guys know I've been saying all year long this is a recession. I think that everybody is warming to that idea now, um, as crazy as that sounds. Um But it's not the recession that worries me. It's, as Buffett talks about all the time, it's the tide is finally going out. And this tide in particular, speaking for where we're at today, the tide has never been so high for so long, which naturally, right, deductive reasoning would lead me to believe and to to, to further expound on, on Buffett's thing. It's, you know, the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming without their trunks on. I think you're going to see a lot more naked swimmers than you think. Okay. And, and, and that to me is the biggest threat. And I think that we need to keep, you know, economic slowdown, stock pullbacks. It's part of the game. It's really, but to me, it's what, what that sets off. And I think the bank of England is giving us a preview of, of those kinds of issues. So we'll get rolling on the market update. Also have a great interview coming up today with our old pal, Doomberg. We're going to discuss many things, but obviously we're going to focus on energy situation. Uh, you got crude right at about 80. And if you hear everybody talk about it, it's sort of like, oh, oh good, that energy crisis passed. Um, in our opinion, that's not at all the case. And what I was saying in the intro segment to the, to the folks up here in Seattle was that I expect the energy situation to be a series of crises for the next two to three years. Now, if we see drastic policy shift, right, that could change that timeline. Um, But so far as of yet, right, the only thing that has really softened this is a a global economic slowdown um, and then b, you know, the greatest, largest coordinated SPR release uh, in history. Right. So the, the price of oil is really masking the underlying situation. Now, I'll be really clear. I actually think oil is probably most likely to go lower over the next six months uh, just due to global demand. But I'm gonna, we're going to talk to our old buddy Doomberg about that because I know he's been keeping his eyes on that. And he is a brilliant guy, uh, Ph.D., you know, a real scientist. <laughs> and he I, I really appreciate the non-emotional academic and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but but the no-nonsense numeric look he t- takes. He's not an emotional thinker, right? This is, uh, this is black and white. So you're not going to want to miss that. He's this great guy, first of all, and then just sharp as attack. So we will run probably somewhere between five to ten minutes of that in the final segment. Um, and then, as always, you guys can log on to the podcast to hear the remainder of the interview. Um, but anyway, let's get in the market update. So... First of all, uh, it's been a nice week for us. Actually, we're up about 2% on the week. It's been pretty nasty for the overall markets. Um, <clears throat> I think our value portfolio is now down about 3.2% on the year. Momentum's down about 11 I think, co- co- collectively. 
Um, average stock portfolio for our clients is around six and a half. Now, if some of my clients are listening, guys, I know some of you called in, Zach, I heard you on the radio say, listen, depending on when you started with us and the percentages we put in for portfolios, I saw one of our stock, por one of our clients uh, as of today is down about 8.2% in their stock portfolio on the year. Looked at another client that's down about 5.8. Again, it really came down to timing. Um, but if you add the two portfolios together, the way that we are currently allocated, you're, you're right between a 6 and 7% dip on the year. Like I said, we actually clawed some back this week. Had a pretty nice week. Um, pretty much all due to hedging and risk management, right? It works. And then, um, you know, the bond replacement side of the portfolio still continues to do excellent. Um, the fixed indexed annuity, whenever I said dirtiest word in investing, right? It's, it, it hasn't made anything this year. Um, but, you know, it, it goes up when the market goes up and then doesn't go down when the market goes down. Typically, those products average 5 to 6% with no fee and insurance against loss. So that's why that's part of our uh, bond replacement strategy. Uh, most of our clients have both parts where we use a commercial real estate investment trust in concert with the annuity. If you have that, you're up about 3% on the year. Some clients, for various reasons, Maybe they have a significant real estate portfolio. Maybe they don't like it, whatever the case may be. Some clients might have the REIT. Some clients have. So just so you guys know, for our clients out there and people, when I'm citing performance, I am talking about the average portfolio, okay? The average portfolio with us this year is down between two and three. Okay, that's the average. Um, if you do not fit that, if you are down four, <laughs> no, we shouldn't change it. If you're down a little less than that, no, it's not because we like you better, <laughs> right? So just, just take it with a grain of salt. But anyway, the risk management's working phenomenal so far, right? Got to stay humble, keep grinding, um, because you never know what these markets are going to throw at you. But anyway, Bank of England, biggest news by far this week to me was the Bank of England, okay? And it precipitated the, the issues that the Bank of England had precipitated a spike higher on the dollar index. We brushed 115 you guys, if you've been listening to the show, you know we've been talking about the dollar exploding higher for the last several years. That is in case, that is in fact what's happened. Um, we've been trying to get it through to all of our listeners because we want you to know the truth, not a bunch of nonsense that's spewed from people that are trying to sell you something. I think the time for precious metals and gold is coming, but not when the dollar is doing what it's doing. Okay, and, and to be fair to especially gold, I think it's held in there remarkably considering dollar strength. But all these people talking about the imminent collapse of the dollar, guys, I, they're wrong. And, and, you know, we've been telling you we thought the DXY could get up to 115 to 120. We brush 115. For those of you at home, that's the dollar index. It's measuring the dollar against a basket of other currencies. Um, I'm not saying it to gloat. I'm saying it to illustrate that you need to be careful who you talk to. Okay, here's somebody, look at all the government debt and all the spending, the dollar's going to collapse. That, I mean, that's like, that's like watching one play in a football game and, and saying who's going to win it, right? It, you're operating with like 3% of the information. And I'm not calling the people that are saying that liars. I just, unfortunately, we, we operate in an industry where everybody has got all these grandiose opinions and very, I think that people, the goal is for them to talk, right? To sound like they know what they're saying. Nobody actually does the homework. And so just be careful who you're listening to guys. And I'm not saying the dollar, the dollar will eventually go the way of every fiat currency. That is zero. Okay. But not under, you know, we've been saying this for years, not under the current monetary setup. Something has to change. Now, ironically, if the dollar keeps going higher, I think we're speeding toward another plaza accord where the world comes together and reworks the monetary system. Okay. But they're not going to raid your IRA. They're not going to suck all the money out of your cash. Guys, those are people trying to sell you something. And I think that we have a good enough track record. If you go back most of the stuff that we've talked to you guys about has been true. 
It has come to fruition. It is presented, right? It's played out like we said. These other guys that have been talking about the collapse of the dollar and gold's going to 10,000, right? They've been saying that for 15 years. The digitized dollar. Just be careful who you listen to. Just, and, and I think an easy way to judge it, guys, is go back and look at their calls. Look at what they get right. The, these are one-trick ponies. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to degrade them. I'm not trying to demean them. I understand I used to think that way until the world wasn't working that way. And then we went back to the drawing, drawing board and said, what did we miss? Right? And unfortunately, that's not a way a lot of people think. It's, a, well, I'm not wrong. It just hasn't happened yet. Well, I mean, you can go broke waiting for it to happen. It's like the guys that shorted housing too early in 2004, early 2005. They had the right call, but it was early. And they went bust. Okay, so you got to be careful who you listen to. But anyway, Bank of England, why is it so fascinating? First of all, let's walk through this. The Bank of England, like most central banks around the world, especially here in the United States with the Federal Reserve, were raising interest rates to stem inflation. Okay, but here's the problem. Interest rates have been at zero for the last 15 years, pretty much. Okay, so think of all the refinancings that happened over that period of time. Okay, then all of a sudden inflation pops up, which was inevitable. It was going to come around at some point, especially when you looked at what kind of monetary policy the world was engaged in. And central bankers go, well, you know, maybe we got to push the Fed funds rate or the Bank of England's rate, LIBOR or whatever the case may be. Maybe we got to push it. And for those of you that want to know, it's the London Interbank operating rate or I can't remember what the O means, but. It's the it's the it's basically like the the English version of the Fed funds rate, essentially. It's what it's what the banks over there lend to each other at. Right. That's their that's their interbank lending rate. So it's not like the Fed funds rate, but it's it's right right in line there. Um, So but we got to think about the mechanisms there. Okay, so you got all this debt that has been financed, these record low rates. And central bankers go, ah, it's not a big deal if we push that rate up to three. Well, if they're pushing their interbank lending rates or their Fed funds rates up to three, three and a quarter, right? All the other debts are all the other interest rates are going to go higher, right? Like the 30 year Fed pushes up to three and a quarter, three and a half on the Fed funds rate. Look where mortgages are at. They're at seven, right? So they're looking at it and they're going, well, hey, you know, seven percent still low historically, but they're not, in my opinion, putting it in context. Right. It's more than a doubling of the cost of the of the of the interest on the loan. Right. So that's going to hit you hard. The other thing it's going to do is create very serious capital losses on bonds. When rates go up, bonds fall down. Right. If 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 the if, if you've got a bond that's paying six percent and it goes to eight, you're going to lose some money, but not that bad. Right. If you got a bond that's paying two and now it's paying five. Right. It's going to take a lot. It's going to take a massive hit because the new bonds coming out are paying 150% more interest. So that bond, my, my whole thing is, is it's not just the interest rate move. It's the percentage, right? So what happened was the pension funds in England who are all loaded up on these bonds, all of a sudden they're flirting with essentially insolvency. Going bust because the value of the bonds is dropping so precipitously. So the Bank of England did what they should have done, which is pulled the rate back a little bit. But in order to keep the and this is the catch in order to keep the bond market orderly, the Bank of England had to reverse course and start buying bonds again. And this is what I'd been talking about for several years. That was my theory. My theory was when the inflation finally hit. Right. And they had to jack rates. The bond markets were going to go into disarray because of how much how much they would lose in principal value based on what are considered historically not huge rate increases. But people are forgetting it's 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 not the number of points that it moves. It's the percentage. Right. So. All of a sudden, you've got all these things around the world that are backed up by really safe sovereign debt. Now, all of a sudden, they're down 25% in the principal value. Now, all of a sudden, a balance sheet of this bank that looks really strong is flirting with insolvency, right? It's kind of, 
kind of like the mortgage-backed security thing. That was AAA debt. A lot of these banks were holding it as cash because it was paying 5.5%, right? And it's rated AAA, so it's safe. If all of a sudden that quote-unquote cash, that safe asset loses 20, 25, 30% of its value, you could have a serious problem on your hands. You might be upside down, right? Because it's your cash. It's the safe assets. So... The Bank of England still can't cut rates all the way back to zero because they're fighting inflation. At the same time, while rates are still now, they pulled back rates a little bit. But now, right, they've got to buy bonds, too. They've got to exercise. They've got to exercise quantitative easing. And that really flies in the face of what a lot of people thought, which is the order of things. If you're looking at an economic slowdown, the first thing you do is lower rates to zero or you drop rates. And then when that didn't take effect or that didn't work according to the central bank's metrics, then they started buying bonds to push the rates down even further. So when I was making the argument that I thought, look, when they start raising rates, I think the only way they raise rates and keep bond markets orderly is they're going to have to raise rates and run QE simultaneously. People are like, oh, you don't understand monetary policy. And, and, and I could have easily been wrong, but the reason I thought that was because of the capital losses that would be generated by those rate increases. And that's exactly what happened. And that is so important, guys, because the Bank of England ain't some backwater bank. We're not talking about the Bank of Sri Lanka here, right? What I'm telling you is if they're running into this problem, other central banks are too. And I don't want to blow our wad here because we're going to hit that in the next couple segments, but it's the second and third order effects. Those are going to be the things that really rock people and catch people off guard. And that is why in an environment like this, you guys, risk management is of the utmost importance because we don't know what's lurking. We are not in familiar economic territory. Central banks have never raised rates and run quantitative easing at the same time. Now, the irony with that, here's, here's a really interesting thing. The irony with that is that actually made the British pound, for now, pop a little bit. It kind of relieved the pressure. But think about this. What they basically said was, yes, we've got to keep rates off the zero bound. We've got to hold, we can't just cut them back to zero because the inflation will come right back. But at the same time, if we keep rates where they're at, the bond market's falling apart. So we got to buy bonds at the same time. So what is that saying? It's basically saying, now I'm not saying they're going to do this, but it's kind of intimating that, look, if, if we want to fight inflation, we're going to have to keep printing money into perpetuity to buy our bonds and keep our bond market stable. We're going to have to keep printing money to buy our own bonds. And that made their currency rally. It shouldn't. And I don't think it's going to over the long run. That's why I think this is a brief respite. This is why a small reason why risk management is going to be so important, guys. And if you see that, if you hear how we're keeping clients safe, if our average portfolio is only down about two and a half to three percent on the year, if that's the kind of thing that you think's worth a fee, if you recognize that these issues aren't over, that it's probably going to get worse before it stops or before it gets better, give us a call 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. We're going to take a quick break. I went a little over there. We're going to finish the market update. Stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? ironically bonds really why because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates it's likely to create some serious inflation and inflation crushes bonds if your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds you may need a bond replacement strategy now get our free booklet common sense investing to learn about bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss but still seek market gains our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost call now for your free 
free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Okay, so let me tie this up because I know it's a little bit complicated and I really want you guys to understand this. So if we think back to 0809, the first thing the Fed did was drop interest rates to zero, right? If they took the Fed funds rate to zero, then they still weren't getting the impetus. You know, they still weren't getting the lift off that, that they wanted to. So they started buying back bonds. When you start buying back bonds, you push the interest rates of those bonds down. Okay. That's the idea because you want to make a in central banks minds. They want to ease financial conditions, not just their Fed funds rate, but they also want to push the rate of debt down overall. And they also want to encourage risk taking. If you can buy U.S. Treasury paying 5%, you're probably not going to take nearly as much risk on stocks as if that same U.S. Treasury is paying 2%, right? So they want to force those rates down. The problem is, like we've said for years, this party ends when inflation stops. And the reason we thought that is if you run 0% rates for 15 years, what are you encouraging people to do? You're encouraging them to lever up. Because debt costs less than it ever should. So the next logical conclusion to draw would be people are going to accumulate more debt than they ever have. That is exactly what's happened the world over. Okay. So when that, when you finally have to start raising rates, it's going to throw things into chaos. And it's going to be much more painful than any previous rate hiking experiences because there's more debt. In addition, like I was just saying, if a company has to refinance, let's say there's company X out there and they will use Boeing as an example, right? Everybody knows Boeing. Boeing right now, I think their bonds are paying off like five, you know, five and a quarter, something like that. They were at like three. Then the crisis hit. And okay, so if you've got Boeing and they're issuing notes and they're issuing debt at five percent and the fed funds rate keeps push pushing higher and now in order to sell debt they got right because no one's going to take the risk on a private company bond unless it's paying substantially more than a government bond right government bonds are safer right so whatever that government bond rate is at that corporate bond rate needs to be substantially higher than that and here's the problem when you amass a ton of this debt that you're paying two and a half to three percent on, and now all of a sudden you've got to roll it and refinance it at six, that is gonna take a massive chunk out of your cash flow. And in some cases, and I don't want to cite it because I haven't looked at it recently and I can't stand by it, but you'll just have to take my word for it. There are many companies where we're looking at and saying if their borrowing costs get above six, they're insolvent. Right? Their liabilities become more than their assets at that point. And more importantly, their debt servicing cost rises more than their cash flow. Okay, They're insolvent. And so that's why we thought, or I thought for years, that when they finally start raising rates, it's going to throw the bond market into chaos. And in order to keep bond markets orderly, and remember guys, the bond markets are a magnitude larger than the stock markets, Right. The bond markets are the foundation of everything. It's the cost of money, essentially. And when the bond markets, you, you, don't, you don't get too, I don't get too fired up about equity markets. They can do whatever they want to do. They can swing wildly. When bond markets start having tremors, that's when stuff gets nasty. Now, we're not there yet. So far, the market has responded favor, favorably to the Bank of England. I just don't think people are looking at the forest through the trees here. Because what the Bank of England essentially said was in order to fight inflation, we got to raise rates. But the only way we can control our bond markets is if we do quantitative easing at the same time. So while we're trying to stamp out inflation, we've got to keep printing money to keep our bond market in order. At some point, and I, and I think, don't quote me on this and don't make bets based on this. But what I think is that we're in short order going to be returning to more traditional Ways of looking at things, meaning when, when, a, when a central bank came out and said, look, we've got to keep printing to keep our bond markets orderly, that should be bearish on a currency. 
Okay, now in the last 15 years, it hasn't because that's what's driven everything, right? Central bank liquidity, oh, the central bank's to the rescue. But now we've moved to inflation being the problem. And I think that initial surge on the British pound, now we'll see, I could be wrong. I think it's going to be short-lived. I think the market's going to quit, start waking up and going, wait a second. What that means is if you're not perpetually printing money, you're going to lose control of your bond market. That ain't currency, that ain't currency friendly, right? That should not buoy your currency. Now, maybe it'll work. And I want to emphasize that. I think that no matter what we think is going to happen in this environment, we have to keep open minds because, again, guys, we are living through the greatest economic experiment of all time. And I don't want to plug our own stuff, but that's one of the reasons why I think risk management is so important. It's not about getting it right. It's about managing the risk because nobody knows. We've never done this before. We are in undiscovered territory. Right? We, we are out there on the event horizon. We're, we're going up places no man has gone before. So anybody that tells you they know how it's going to play out, they're a charlatan. Now, if they're right, it's pure luck. Just because, again, there's no example. There's no roadmap. And so when, when there's no roadmap, what do we do? We manage risk. It's the only logical conclusion to come to. So let me get to the rest of it. Other interesting stuff that came out. This actually caught me a bit off guard. PCE data, which is another consumer price inflation metric, right? It eased, it eased a little bit because of the drop in energy prices, which I just said I don't think are sustainable. Now, I think, I think oil will go a little lower would be my suspicion. I'm not going to bet one way or the other. But what was interesting is virtually everything else is still accelerating, not 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 pulling back still accelerating in price. Why is that an issue? Because if the Fed is true to their word and they're all still saying this until that stuff eases off, I think they're going to keep hiking as crazy as that sounds. And and I think in short order, they will be proven that it will be seen that they're making massive policy error. That is my opinion. Just when you look at what's going on in the globe, I don't think inflation is going to be the issue in the next six months. Now, where I think it's going to kick back in is the response to that. Because as these things start breaking at some point, they will go back to printing again. And I would think that's going to be the aha moment where markets go, okay, you guys all have to print in perpetuity. That's the only way we keep this train on the track. Right. And, and again, these are theories. I don't know, but that's why I just sat with wide eyes reading that bank of England announcement, looking around going, oh my gosh, a, I was right. It was just a theory. And I mean that with the utmost humility, because it just kind of seemed like the logical conclusion, you know, but I didn't know. We've never been there before. And it's, it's one of those moments. I don't know if you've ever had it in life. People are like, boy, you were right. And you're like, yeah, I know, but I'm not really sure how I feel about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause you're like, this is kind of scary to me. Um, so anyway, but other interesting, like I said, the PCE data, it, it's still not dropping, which suggests more interest rate hikes based on what the Fed's saying. And, and that's trouble. The other interesting thing yesterday now, all you have to do is talk to somebody in the business and they will tell you car demand for automobiles is falling off a cliff. First of all, the really high prices. Second of all, interest rates have gone through the roof on auto loans. You know, we all know the drill, but CarMax came out with a nasty quarter. Not surprisingly, we told you guys, I thought you were going to see things look like they were holding up during the summer. And as soon as the summer came to an end, I thought you were going to see stuff falling off a cliff. We're starting to see that. Remember the FedEx warnings a couple weeks back? CarMax coming out and missing huge. They're one of the largest, if not the largest car dealership in the country, I want to say. No, maybe it's still Lithia. Anyway, CarMax is huge. Uh, Nike coming out. A little bit of a beat on the revenue side, but margins getting squashed. Nike's down 13, 14, 15%, I want to say, in the last two days. Why is that important? Well, in and of itself, it's not, but there was another one that has been downgraded by analysts, and we're not going to put a whole stock, a lot of stock in sell-side analysts. We did a show on that, right? But also, Apple coming out itself and saying they are seeing demand pulling back. Remember, guy, I've used Apple as an example. Remember when I was saying, look, when you look at the slowing economy and you look at the surge of the dollar, places like Japan are still going to buy iPhones, but they're not going to buy as many. Right. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Okay. Why do I point out Apple and Nike? Because they're two of the highest quality companies in the world. They also have consumer goods that everybody wants more than any other alternative. Okay. If they are getting hit by margins, if they are seeing demand pulling back, you're going to see it everywhere else. All right. 
it just you just are. I mean, they're gold standard consumer type companies, right? The iPhone is probably the most recession proof product in the world, you know, outside of food and stuff like that. But you're seeing, and, and it's no surprise. Look at what the dollar index has done. Look at what the cost of buying that in these other markets are. So that, that'll sum up the market update. Want to dig a little bit deeper into the Bank, Bank of England on the next one, guys. But if you guys recognize this stuff and, and you've been listening for a while, guys, give us a call. You, I, we could be wrong, okay? But here's the deal. If we're wrong... And, and I think we're very close to another leg lower if it doesn't even happen today. I'm sitting here at 1120 markets. Last time I looked before I got on air, we're essentially flat on Friday. But we're just hanging on to support levels. All the economic news continues to deteriorate. You got the issues going on with the Bank of England, which I think is one of the first of many tremors. And if we're wrong, remember our portfolios, because of the bond replacement strategies specifically, we got more upside potential. Okay, if we're wrong and everything rebounds, great. We're going to end up having a nice year, nice next 12 months. But if we're right, and so far we have been, it's going to get a lot nastier. And, and, and the big losses you've seen that everybody's acting like the bottom's in already, you'll see that evaporate very quickly. Okay, you don't have to make that decision, guys. There's a better way. We can be good regardless of the economic outcome, which if you have a retirement portfolio, if you're about to retire, that's the way it should work. Right, Your retirement portfolio has to work no matter what happens. We only get one shot at this. Call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bullerdcapitalmanagement.com. Follow me on Twitter, at KYR Radio. You guys know the drill. We're going to be right back, dig a little bit deeper into the Bank of England, and we're going to actually summarize that. We're going to put them together with the second and third order effects that we want to watch out with. And then we're going to bring that interview with uh, Doomberg coming to you. So stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download it and subscribe to knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Okay, so let's get into it. Um... First of all, getting a little bit deeper into the Bank of England, and I think that this is really important to take a look at. First of all, like I said earlier, we're not talking about the Bank of Sri Lanka. We're not talking about the Bank of Ecuador. We're talking about the Bank of England and the British pound. Okay. And we just saw them have to reverse course and start buying bonds again, which is quantitative easing while interest rates are off zero. So you just crack that seal. Okay, I highly doubt they will be the last one to do this. Highly doubt. There's just so many more weaker hands out there if you think about it, right? And it's only natural to me at some point the market wakes up and goes, wait a second, what does this mean? This means if you don't want your bond markets to collapse, you have to print into perpetuity. That isn't bullish your currency. That's bearish. Now, perpetuity is a, is a strong word. The Bank of England says temporarily, we'll see. But it's just fascinating to me that that's what's happening right now, that those interest rates are causing that level of pain. 
And that's the conundrum. We've said this for years. Look, central banks are going to back themselves into a corner where they got a gun to both sides of their head, where they're going to have to choose. Do we blow up the economy? Not forever, but I mean, just cause a really nasty, sharp recession and probably somewhat long lasting. Or do we learn how to deal with higher than normal inflation rates? If they are like all of the central banks and people in the past, just human behavior, they're going to take the road of least resistance out, which means deal with higher inflation down the road. Right. But right now I'm wait, I'm watching very uh, anxiously and very interested. Uh, I just think it's captivating to watch what market reactions are to this, because right now they're saying it's it's bullish for the British pound. If you've got to print money to keep your bond market in check, I don't think that that long term. Now, short term, I understand it alleviates the, the, the potential of a crisis. But long term, I have no idea how that's bullish your currency. Okay, they're not. Remember, they're, because they're not quantitative easing now to try to stimulate the economy. They're quantitative easing to save their bond market. Right. They're buying bonds to save their bond market. This should not be bullish. Right. And. That's really what gets us into these second and third order effects that I think are going to be, uh, my guess would be, my feeling at this point is that you're going to see more of these. Why do I think that? Again, let's go back. For the last 15 years, you've had record low interest rates. That means businesses have been built from nothing to billions of dollars during that period of time. And they've been structured around these low interest rates. And they've been structured around low inflation, Right. It is crazy to me that you think that we, at the same time, we can go through a global slowdown while simultaneously pumping up the cost of input goods, right? Materials, inflation, all that stuff that it causes. Jack up the cost of debt historically fast. Watch currencies start freaking out and think that everything's going to end well. These types of things blow stuff up. These are the types of things that create banking crises. These are the types of things that created the Asian currency crisis and then the subsequent blow up of long-term capital a year later in the the late 90s. It's those second and third order effects. We see the bullet of the economic slowdown. We all see the bullet of rising rates, but it's the bullet you don't see that gets you. Now, do I know how that's going to play? No, nobody does. But what do we know? We know how to manage risk, right? And like I said, the downside of managing risk is maybe we make a little less. But guess what? If you're only down 2 to 4% this year, you don't have to make a whole lot to post a really nice year. There's a better way, guys. We've warned you about bonds. We've warned you about the rising dollar. We've warned you about the global slowdown that we believe was coming. We warned you about oil and natural gas. I mean, what do we, I, and I'm not saying guys, our firm has grown huge and I praise the good Lord for that. And I don't take the credit for that by any stretch of the imagination. Our employees are amazing. I say it because we actually care. We, I firmly believe that what we are currently going through is going to blow. You're like, blow people up, Zach. I'm down 22, 23%. Yeah. From ridiculous highs that never should have happened. Talk to me after the next 20% hit comes. And I'm not guaranteeing that it will. I think it will. But I'm just saying, you, you, all this stuff we're talking about, guys, you guys still got a market that's valued at 30, 35% above the long-term historic value with companies like Nike and Apple getting hit. Wake up. This isn't just a bump in the road. Real estate's at a standstill. Auto sales are falling off a bloody cliff. I, if you lose, if you damage your retirement, guys, this is on you. I, it really is. And I don't mean to sound like a jerk because I, I, you just don't have to take that kind of risk, man. You just don't. It's this, the other one we're watching second and third order effect China. And I don't know, but when you look at what that offshore yuan is doing, I, I just, I, you can just feel, I can feel like I can hear the PBOC, the people's bank of China just screaming right now. Because this, these conditions have to be just pinching them. And what's funny then is when you look at what their government actions have been and the way they're responding, including the strengthening of their dollar peg, it just reeks of desperation. And guys, again, it's not the end of the world, but where that points us to China is a currency devaluation. If a currency devaluation of 25 to 40% happens, and, and, and I know some, a lot you know, people that are much better at analyzing these things than I do, that seems to be sort of the consensus range. 
Everybody's growth model for the next decade is China. If you cut their consumer purchasing power by 30 to 40 percent, it's going to send shockwaves through the global financial system. And I am not saying that's going to happen. I don't know. China's a black box. I've said that a hundred times. But the only way that China has been able to facilitate the massive bubble that they've done inside of their own country is through printing. And the reason they were able to print is because they had a constant inflow of dollars due to all the U.S. manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. And that is all pulling back now. Not an alarming rate, but it's slowing down. Right? It's, it's shrinking. That river of dollars is shrinking. Right at the same time that all of their input costs, they have to import virtually the lion's share of their food. They have to import virtually all of their energy. So they're getting squeezed on all fronts. And that could be a massive second or third order effect right there of what we see going on that could absolutely smoke markets. Again, you got to be able to manage that risk. If it doesn't happen, great. Everything's going to go up. Your house, all, right? But what if it does? Your retirement still has to live. You got to still pay the bills. So give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. When we get back, we're going to run a few minutes of that uh, interview with Doomberg, and then you can listen to the rest of it on the podcast. So stick with us through the break. We're going to be right back with Doomberg. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. And yet again, my favorite part of the show, love doing the interviews. Believe it or not, contrary to what many of you think, I actually do not like listening to myself talk. I actually never listen to my own shows. Uh, only time I do is if I'm reviewing an interview, just because I want to hear what the people have to say. So... It could not be happier to have this fellow back on. Uh, incredible success that they've that they've you know produced here in a very short period of time, and it's because they do the actual work. They're not agents of hyperbole and nonsense. They do the work. They talk about the facts, and they give you the numbers. So, without further ado, my old buddy Doomberg, welcome back to the show, pal, and thrilled to have you back on. Zach, it has been too long since we've last chatted, and I really appreciate the uh, invite to come back. Um, one of my favorite shows to both be a guest on and to listen to myself. So um, looking forward to what I know will be a rigorous discussion because Lord knows there's plenty of things in the, in, in the, in the news cycle right now that is uh, catching many people's attention. Oh, my goodness, man. And it feel, I, I saw a tweet you put out recently where you said decades and minutes. And, you know, you, you and I both know what, what, what you're referencing there. And it just does feel like that. It feels like we're reaching this point of 10 to 15 years of nonsense. The bill is coming to us in a very condensed and expedited fashion. Yeah. Um, and what I, what I want to come right out of the gate as, because it is so pertinent to ever, all the work that phenomenal work that you guys have done way out ahead of the curve. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's prescient and everybody's in mind is I wanted to hear from you <clears throat> about the implications and the po politics and the all of the background behind what we saw happen to the Nord Stream pipeline. 
Um, I know you've been talking about it a lot. There's massive misconceptions about what's going on. For instance, I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, just so people know, right? We are proprietors of truth here, um, or advocates of truth, I should say. And there, there was a, there was a clip that everybody was throwing around about Biden saying, you know, we're going to take care of Nord Stream too. And everybody's like, oh, Biden, the Biden administration blew it up just for the record. Okay. It was the Nord Stream one pipeline that ruptured, correct? Yeah. So why don't I dive in a little bit? Because this is a complicated story. And in fact, um, the decades and minutes that you referred to is actually the title of the piece we published just before you and I sat down to record this. And um, it is on this topic. Um, exactly. It is about the ramifications of the sabotaging of both Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. So maybe if you don't mind, I'll give a little background and, and we'll dive in. Um, you bet. So um, the piece that we wrote opens with the analogy, at least that struck us, uh, to 9-11. So for, for most people, 9-11 became, quote, 9-11 when the second plane hit, right? Um, when the first plane hit, there was a lot of confusion. Um, I remember distinctly watching the Today Show of Katie Couric and Matt Lauer, I believe. And um, there was, you know, some thoughts that maybe it was a propeller plane or a small jet or maybe the pilot got confused and maybe it was an accident. And then 17 minutes later with, you know, the, 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 um, one of the towers burning, Flight 175 crashes into the tower. All right, guys, due to time constraints, we got to cut the interview off right there. But as always, just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. You can get on Apple I, or podcast. You can get on, uh, you know, Pretty much every podcast engine out there has it. So just you can just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. You can hear the rest of the in- interview. If you want to know what's coming up in energy markets and commodity markets, I strongly suggest you listen. Doomberg has been calling this and has been dead on the spot, so you won't want to miss it. Anyway, we got to go. We'll be back next week with another great interview. Have a phenomenal weekend, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.